Okay, hello, 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 everyone. My name is Damian Rivera of Damian Rivera Films, and we have another special episode of Live Discussions with Diamond Podcast. And today we're back again in Florida with the amazing Amy Dominguez. Hey, 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 everybody. Thanks absolutely. for tuning in. Yes, absolutely. And and for me, Amy, I'm really thankful, and we've also talked about this privately, I'm really thankful to have an artist like you on tonight's episode, because for me, just as much as we praise the men, uh, the mass amount of men that have been in this scene and performances and instructors, it's so much more important to really talk about the women that are putting their foot forward and putting their name out there and their brand. And for me, again, tonight is truly about celebrating all of the success that you've had thus far. Thank you so much, love, for having me. And I love representing my ladies. <laughs> so by all means, thanks for the invite. And I appreciate it. No, absolutely. And for me, too, as well, um, for me, as I told you before, my introduction to you, uh, as I can say, really goes through YouTube, through various performances that you've had over the years, from your solo <laughs> performances, from your duets with Grace Baez, and so on. And for me... Uh, especially meeting you last year in Unity, seeing the way you teach, you just have a presence about you that I think many, many female instructors or instructors in general should really take heed because a lot of times in our dance communities, we have so many schools, so many teachers, yeah. <laughs> but there are very few people that really just have that presence and that aura about them that really leaves the dancers and the students wanting more. I really appreciate it. Actually, I remember when we met and um, and something we actually discussed as well. You know, for me, I take a huge pride as an instructor. So I do like to leave my students wanting more, but I also like to make sure that in that moment, they're just really present and they're picking up on everything. So, you know, as instructors, you know, we all teach differently. My way of teaching, I like to make sure I focus fully on um, what my students are retaining and that the experience is fun and lighthearted, but also you know, it's thorough. So I do appreciate that you actually were ear hustling during my class. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> because I mean, to be honest with you, for my years of experience in this dance scene, whether it's salsa or bachata, I mean, we have always normally, you have the male and you have the female couple teaching a class or a male. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's really important that people understand that there's so many more, so much more women out there that are really t teaching classes solo and can do it. And, you know, for me as oh, well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, and especially just seeing this past interview that you've had with Maria Ramos with Talking Points and the other women that yeah. you were on that panel with and talking about conversations and having topics that you're discussing that really do mean a lot and do come up through our lives and through this scene and this culture, you know, but for me too, mm -hmm. I think it's so much more important to have a platform where we can really celebrate all of, the, all of the success that you've had thus far, but also understanding who Amy is beyond just being the dancer. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot, right? So there's so many facets to our industry. I mean, as far as like what each instructor does with their work and how they decide to go in which direction. And I mean, as dancers too, individually, when you come into this, like those partnerships, how they develop, and where they progress from there sometimes, you know, in my city per se, there's not a lot of partnering options because a lot everyone doesn't necessarily have the same goal as you. So I think when those partnerships develop, it's really important that the objective is the same. Mm -hmm. um, I have worked with partners, um, but being a soloist has been like that primary foundation. And then um, my partners have worked with me for given periods um, when it's worked out for them. But again, a lot, I've even had partners at a state and things like that. And it's amazing. It's a whole different thing to work with a guy. But as far as my brand goes, um, working as a female soloist, it's just a different area that we that those solo instructors teach in. So I mean, like my styling classes, those are specific. So even a guy getting in there, it's, they can come and they can gain a lot of knowledge there. But there's so many details that go into that process of learning. So I really personally enjoy that. So my brand is really focused or has that focus of working with women directly. And I love it. Um, I literally like, I love working with women. It's phenomenal. 
what women can do working together. It's, I think until you actually work in that environment, you don't realize that a group of women is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, in all the, in all the senses of the words, I mean, I, I would never be where I am in my career if it wasn't for, you know, the support I've had from various women as well as men. But, um, but especially like even my dancers and my students that are females have been really influential in that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And realizing now that even with COVID going on, like we've talked about as well, that it's allowed a lot of us to really kind of self-reflect and understand what's really Mm -hmm. important. And again, for me, having this opportunity to talk to you, really understanding not just what you've done on the stage for many years, but realizing also who who Amy is as a person, as a human being. Because again, we all have, many people have to understand, we do have lives outside of the stage. A lot of us. Oh, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> this can be a full-time job. We still have our own personal lives. And I think um, what we realized too over these last few months is how many people really care, in a sense, to really know how we feel as people. Because I think sometimes we have a persona, is a persona, an image that people see you as, and then they have that one specific image, but don't really get a chance to understand you more than what you've contributed on the stage. So having you on yeah. tonight is really important because then we're really going to take it back. I mean, way back and understanding that, you know, <laughs> of course you have your roots now in Florida, but really this all started way back in Maryland. So for mm-hmm. me, it's like, you know, I could definitely tell the story, but <laughs> I could definitely couldn't do it justice as you. So for me, I would love to understand, you know, where did everything begin for you in terms of dancing? So in terms of dancing, I was that child that um, my, my mom's a pianist. My dad is into really heavy into music. Uh, they're both Cuban born and raised there. They actually relocated to the States five years after the revolution. So we're the first generation of children. Um, And so I think at home with music constantly being played and so forth, we would dance. So everybody danced at home. Like my parents would be like, get up and dance. And, you know, family parties, we were the kids that put on shows. We would sit and make like a whole lineup and then we'd perform certain songs. But I think when I started to actually train intentionally and dance, I was seven. And I remember these kids coming to school and they had on the whole jumpsuit. And I was like, oh, I wanna do what they're doing. You know, and I went home and I told my mom, I was like, oh, there's little girls in my class that are in dance school. And my mom was like, oh, we don't have money for that. Um, and I was just like constantly like, I wanna do what they're doing. And so she finally was like, look, she knew there was like a school talent show. And she was like, if you want me to find a way to be able to afford this, you gotta do the school talent show. Mind jump seven. <laughs> She's like, you gotta do the school talent show. And I need you to do it because I don't want to have a shy child and spend money and find ways to do this. Mm. So I did the talent show. And I remember I danced um, the Real Love by Mary J. Blige. And I know. What was I doing listening to that? (laughs) (laughs) At at seven. I was seven. Mm -hmm. Mm, Okay, that's spicy. That's spicy. So I ended up dancing that and I won second place, just freestyling, little kid on stage. But I remember the audition, like I literally have mental pictures in the school library doing this audition. And then I I won a little contest. I remember my friends being there. Um, And then my mom immediately was like, I got to find this money, right? So my mom started cleaning. She offered to a neighbor to clean her house because she wanted to put me in dance class. And they were friends. So she was like, yeah, you know, I need help. So my mom started cleaning houses to put me through dance. So I did that all the way through like my adolescent years. Um, And then in my teenage years, we had a teacher who substituted into that. It it was like mainstream school. So tap, jazz, ballet, all that stuff. I used to take even different forms of ballet called like Chiquetti, Graham, stuff like that Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. So, um, this instructor came in and she was just subbing and she did hip hop. I was a kid that loved jazz class. I, I was the hyper one. So then um, I did this hip hop routine and that choreographer, she was like, she pretty much put me in the front. I had never was put in the front. And I did this entire hip hop show, first time on stage in the front. I was always in these competition groups, but I never was the preferred kid. I was always in the back, even though I was one mm-hmm. of the shortest. So anyways, point is, is that I get involved with this choreographer and she, my mom ended up having some issues with the school and I, she was like, you know what I mean? I'm gonna have to take you out of dance. And I was like, oh my God, no, can you go find that substitute? 
I love that hip hop class we did. Yeah. So mom founder, I ended up dancing with this company called DC Showbiz, which was an adult hip hop dance company in the city. Um, I was 12, I was the youngest member. I was the only fair skinned member. Everyone was African-American. Mm-hmm. And I danced with that company all the way from like the age of 12 until I was like 18, 17, oh, wow. 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So I used to travel the US to like different conferences. We used to do what's called the, the Monsters of Dance Hip Hop Conference. We also used to do the Blacks of Dance Tour, which was like more focused on like contemporary ballet, but we performed there and went to different states around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, also used to train a lot in like Afro dancing. So we used to dance at the Kennedy Center, Lincoln Center, all those main theaters that are in the DC area. But um, so that was my training initially. But you know, in my childhood, it wasn't really easy. That was something I haven't mentioned in the other interviews. Yeah. So now where I am as an adult, like, I know why I was put into dance. So my mom has always suffered from bipolar disorder. So when I was Mm -hmm. five, she had incidents and throughout my whole entire life, that was something we dealt with as a family. And dance and music was something that I gravitated to at a very young age. So I would go Mm -hmm. in my room and I would like stand on my bed because I couldn't see my full body because of my dresser (laughs) mirror. So I would stand on my bed so you could see my body on the dresser mirror and I would dance around and, you know, and, that was really how it kind of started. So those are the mainstream schools. Music was something that even as a kid, I gravitated to. And I would lock myself in the room. My brother would knock on the door and scream because I would sing. Yeah. Like, just stuff like that. So that was literally like my childhood. Like, if you could depict it, my mom made me take piano lessons till I was 12. So I had to practice piano every day. I had to attend dance class. And if I wanted to continue dance class, I was obligated to play piano. <laughs> mm. I did gymnastics, so I was always in like something, right? And then yeah, school. You, you, your your mom or just in general, your parents just wanted you to be preoccupied with something that was very positive. much so. Yeah. Oh, I mean, very <laughs> much so. And and I had an interest, so they were like they threw me in it, right? So yeah, I ended up getting involved in this hip hop group, and um, I ended up there was actually another company too I joined called X Faction. And even while I was in that hip hop company, I danced on BET. I mean, I did uh, so many different things. Like I started working with the radio station when I was a sophomore in high school. It was, I mean, anything as a hustler, as a dancer, at a very young age, I created opportunities. So DC wasn't very evolved for that but because I danced and I wanted to do Latin things, but there wasn't a Latin community like that that did dance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was always plugging myself into like, I mean, I had a fake ID. I would go to the club. I mean, it was wild, <laughs> but I did it. You know, my parents would tell me, if you get in trouble, I'm taking you out of dance. Mm. And I'd be like, dad, I gotta go. You know, they have artists and I want to dance and I want to do stuff like on Sábado Gigante. And there was nothing like that. Yeah. I mean, if you know what Sábado Gigante is, that's the Saturday show you used to watch with your family. Yep. So I was like, there's nothing out. Like, I want to do that stuff, right? So anyways, point is, is that getting into my adult years, I did, um, so you think you did a dance audition. And I met a bunch of salseros in line. So we had made it through the preliminaries in, in the DC area, the, the yeah. DMV. And we ended up in New York. So it's like 5.30 in the morning and they recognized me from having met in Maryland. And they're like, oh, get in line, get in line. So we cut in line, we create this friendship. They're actually to this date, one of them is Ronald Rios. He's my, one of my best friends. And he's from DC and he instructs and he dances salsa. And he's in New York a lot too. But um, anyways, so we get, I'm there, I'm talking to them. And then they're like, you know, when we get back home, no matter what happens here, you come take our class, we'll take yours. So I started dancing at, um, at the nightclubs in DC with them. So we would go out to like Lucky Bar and like all the main pop and special spots back home. And one of the girls, her name is Christina, she became really close to me and she was like, hey, you know, there's a girl that's in my dance team, which back then, it was called Son Mulato. Um, mm-hmm. It was run by Karen Aguilar in DC. And, um, and she said, there's a girl who can't attend the Stuck on Salsa Cruise, which was Calvin Harris and Earl's event. Yes, and they were Earl like, Rush, think- right? Earl, Earl Rush. yeah, Earl Rush, yes. yeah. And, um, and they were like, do you think you could learn this combination in two weeks? And that I was like, yeah, I'll learn it to go to Mexico. I'll learn it, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> So that's what I did. So I learned it. And then I ended up at the Stuck on Salsa Cruise. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> like, what is this? What is this scene? What is this industry? I need to know about this. And they're like, oh, classes are here and there. By then I was already working. So I'm like into yeah. my 1920s. So there was nothing 
I really didn't have a schedule provided to take classes. And that was when Shaka Brown was teaching back home. Yeah. So, Shaka. yeah, so Shaka was back home back then. So I didn't take classes in D.C. or anything. I just went to the clubs and like Orlando, those main guys that you see there are social dancers. Mm-hmm. When we would go out, they teach me little things. Um, like corrections, because I danced at home, you know, but I didn't, yeah, that was the street. There's, there's a way we dance at home, and then there's the the structured the way in a studio. sense. Yeah. yeah, so they would teach me little things, and then needless to say, my personal life changed, and I ended up relocating to Florida, and Eric Baez, who was my partner mm-hmm. for a little over four years, he was one of the people on the Sotaco on Salsa crew that had caught my eye, his group did, and I, I happened to Google, I was like, I think this group was in Florida, and I Googled it, and sure enough, I got in touch with him. And anyways, I ended up in the studio, ended up becoming a receptionist at the studio to kind of, he was just opening his school, like a relocation. And like within that month, I was auditioning. And then there I go right into the scene. And I started, that's where it started. Wow. And yep. just realizing the, the, the order of how everything went of first even getting introduced into the So You Think You Can Dance sector. Mm-hmm. And then also realizing that coming into a place like the the Stuck on Salsa All-Star Cruise that they had. I believe this was in 06 uh, with Kelvin Harris. And I've Mm -hmm. seen pictures. I wasn't old enough to be able to attend, but from seeing the photos and everything that I've seen from the past. Are you trying to say I'm older than you? Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) Trust me, mind you. No, I'm kidding. I I was actually a young person. Oh, no, for me, honestly, I was actually 17, 18, and a lot of people know I was in New York City going into those underage clubs or the the over twenty. Yeah, back clubs. then. I, yeah. Back then, you could get in. There was a way. I had mm-hmm. a fake ID. I remember buying it in Georgetown, and I'm just like got myself right in there. Yeah. And I started working with, that same night. I started working with the radio station. I was because I was that person that just would I would get to know the DJ. Yeah. If the radio station was promoting, I wanted to go and shake some hands. I was just I don't know where that came from, but I was mm-hmm. so determined. I just love to dance. Like, it was without a doubt, I was intended to be a dancer. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and and realizing, too, I think what's important that you talked about earlier was your parents didn't force you. Because that sometimes happens with a lot of people who are in the arts. A lot of times, whether it's dancing, it can be drawing, it can be singing. There's a point where your parents can either push you to the limit or allow you to push yourself. Because yeah, there comes yeah, a yeah. point sometimes of you feel like you're being forced into this, but seeing that you took a liking to it from the piano, from dancing, um, it, it really is a testament to how much your mom really did believe in you and even yourself. Oh, she about, did. Yeah, she did. You know, my parents are, and you know, I think, I think what they loved was that the discipline, right? So mm-hmm. it kept me busy. It was the discipline. My mom loved. My mom's a tremendous pianist, and actually, she did force me to play. So we didn't okay. get to that part. My mom forced me to play the piano, okay? My mom has no cut cards. She's a full tourist. Like, if you met my mom now, she's as sweet as can be, but she's 74. Prior to that, there is a one way and it's her way. That's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyways, playing the piano, I was actually forced to play it. I was the, I was the kid that wanted to just move. So my mm. mom paid my aunt to teach me. My mom paid piano teachers to teach me because she had no patience. She's like, she won't sit still. She needs to play the piano. And she was right. You know, she was, when you have a parent that plays an instrument, they know the value. That's like a very priceless value. And it, yeah. if you wait until you're an adult, it's something that's almost intangible to do. I mean, especially with something so complicated like the piano. So anyways, um, she forced me, but there were times that like, I got really bad with it. Like I didn't want to sit still. Like I would do back kickovers and flip off the feet and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, oh I was pretty God. bad. I was like a tomboy too, so I had three older brothers, so I was the baby, uh, so I was like rough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, oh my so, God. oh man, you don't even know. My mom used to just, ooh, she didn't like it, so she started paying people. And I remember her telling me, I told her one day, I said, Mom, I hate it. I don't like it. So I had a thing, we used to do these things called the guilds, where they were like judges, panels. And so she was like, you know, if you can get a gold medal, mind you, it was the next day, and I was preparing for a silver, so I had like seven songs, and they have these things that are called scales and arpeggios. Mm-hmm. But she was like, if you can get a gold medal, tomorrow I'll let you quit. So all night I stayed up learning like three more songs, like five more of this, like all the stuff I needed to do to try to get this gold yeah. medal. 
I even created like a cheat sheet and put it on my thigh with tape. <laughs> with the note with the letters of the notes. I was like, oh, I'll just glance like down. Um, and I wore a skirt. Like I was prepared to get this gold, right? The mm-hmm. panel was like really low, so I was elevated. So there was no way for me to cheat. And anyways, I got the gold, right? And I remember getting it. And I handed it to her and I was like, not playing anymore. And she was like, no problem. And I never played again. I was 12. Mm. Yep. Never played again. But the instrument that I'm most gravitated to when I listen to salsa or when I create and just even social dancing that provokes me the most is the piano. Mm. It's wild. There's things that you just can't, you can't plan. You don't know why it happens, yeah. but I can listen to a complete piano instrumental song and just be so provoked and dance mm. to that. And even like social dancing, like a piano break will come on. And if, if a guy's connected to me, I'm like, please release me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause we, we know how it is. There's certain songs those transition breaks mean the the most and guys i hope you're mm-hmm. listening when a woman is telling you, just let her go let let her be free oh yeah so <laughs> i like connecting but then there's a moment where it's like oh the song is taking me it's not even about you it's not about me right now it's just like this moment <laughs> like, absolutely it's personal so sometimes i'm like spaghetti fingers i'm like ooh, just give me a moment <laughs> I, I, well, I'll tell you this. When, when we do get back to things and we can meet up, I'll definitely make sure whatever song has a piano break, I will definitely let you go on that point. Yeah. You yeah. For sure. And, and realize I'll be like, this too, that moment, this that moment. <laughs> they'll definitely <you> could count <laughs> on it. And realizing, too, is that you talked about the Stuck on Salsa Congress or Congress on a boat, basically. It was an event on mm-hmm. a boat. And I think, too, yeah. people had to realize there weren't many events like that happening in the mid 2000s. This was an evolution period. So realizing people from DC like Earl Rush and Kelvin Harris that I remember specifically uh, because I was in a group, uh, an all male group, and we actually were at their event in Mexico in 09. That was when Ataka La Mana came. That was when like they first was starting to branch on the scene and they had the all white parties and oh yeah, me, yeah. So I mean, for me, it was like that was an experience. But then realizing we were basically me and you were at the same place at the same time, but we yeah. didn't know each other at that point. But I was realized... so beginner. I was like just out of the womb. Like <laughs> I was so, oh. like during so those. You, just, like, you were basically fresh. On... You were fresh. Oh, I was fresh, man. Let me tell you, that stuck on Salsa Cruise. I was so fascinated, but I was beyond fresh. I mean, I sat. Um, Let's see who it, you know, Darlene Garcia, right? Oh, from absolutely. Philly. From our emotion. Yes. Darlene was one of the only individuals who social danced with me because I didn't know a count for day. I, I was a dancing, <laughs> but I was following. I yep. didn't know a one or two or five or eight. I didn't know anything. I just danced. You know what I'm saying? Him and, um, you know, Beto Herrera from North Carolina. Yes. The Beto, two of yes. them were the two most memorable individuals on that cruise for me. Beto gave me an entire history lesson sitting on the steps on the cruise because I was just like, I don't understand. Like, what is this one, this two, like, and our, my first history conversation in this industry about dance was with Beto Herrera. He took his time. I remember him sitting down. He was like, I was like, this is just a lot. Like, I want to know everything <laughs> because I was a dancer. Like, I was full in. Like, I was dancing pro shows all over the place in hip hop. Like I was known for hip hop. Like I had my, my stuff and my, the companies I danced with, yeah. I had my hirings. I mean, I had worked already, but in the Latin thing, and that was something that was so natural internally, internally for me, even though I was raised in an African-American community, mm-hmm. I felt very Hispanic, you know? And, um, and like in the car and stuff, they would play music, but I didn't have, my dad would talk about artists and stuff, but I didn't have anyone who was just specifically educated in music. My dad knew artists and he knew what it sounded like, but he couldn't say, this is how it started with Son, Dan Son, uh, La Fania, how that developed. And these were the eras. All he knew how to tell me was, oh, I never missed a party. I was in New York (laughs) and a gran, and, uh, fucking Hector Lavoe, estaban tocando, que esto lo otro, me agarré el carro, me fui para acá. Like, that's all he knew how to, like, and he'd be getting up and dancing. Even now, my dad is a music junkie, but I didn't have anyone who could, like, educate me. And I remember Beto doing that and he did it. And you know, and this speaks highly on how important it is on, for instructors to take into account that every single individual person you encounter, you have the responsibility that they can leave with a positive taste in their mouth. 
Yes. Not that you necessarily are obligated to do it, but the responsibility that you hold being a face in this industry is really big. So it mm. sucks when there's times where we're exhausted. Like I know people say that resting face situation. <laughs> like I'm a serious individual for a lot of things because I'm actually more of an introvert. Like I'm social right now, right? But if you saw me, like I get intimidated easily. Um, and my way of, of doing it is I'm more reserved. So I'm quiet, I'm mm. observant. I love to watch people. That's why people I'm a watcher. person. I'm a people, people watcher. I love watching people. <laughs> I think people are some of the most fascinating creatures in the world. I go to, let me tell you, when I was working with Stefan in Dallas, I was like, boo, let's just go to Walmart and watch people. Oh, Walmart man. is a trip. <laughs> that's, you could sit creepy. on a bench at Walmart and that's like comic century. Like, I mean, in an airport, you constantly run into people from all walks of life, right? So even within our dance community, like we're dancing and stuff, a lot of my students I've met because I've watched them. Like, mm -hmm. I, I love sitting, have my little drink, and just watch people enjoy the music because I like to listen to music. There's just different aspects yeah. that I like. And so I, it doesn't necessarily have to be all eyes on me. First of all, I'm an introvert. So I do it because it's part of my work, right? But my full fulfillment is to see what I can give other people, right? So mm -hmm. with what my knowledge. So my knowledge is where I really get that full fulfillment of what I do, like having the knowledge, sharing the knowledge, giving people another outlet. That's where it's like internally really me, you know? The yeah, other stuff I, is like an enjoyment as part of like the process and I get a, like excited and you love it. But the full fulfillment for me is, I guess, sharing forward all that knowledge and kind of giving people that open door to, to kind of exploring, right? And you never know. I mean, yeah. I, I hear stories and I'm like, I did that to you? I thought that to you? <laughs> like yeah, I'm like I'm glad to know I'm continuously the same person because yes. there's no changing who you are, right? I, I mean, after so. a certain period of time, but I think too, uh, what you're saying is so important because you're talking about the importance of instructors and the importance of understanding you have a representation and realizing too, it's very uh, important that I'm hearing as well when you talk about the notion of being an introvert because I've had many guests on this podcast who travel the world, but internally they're introverted. It's a, it's for me, I guess, me seeing them on stage, I have a perception of what I believe they are like off. Oh it's yeah. Not, it's not until you actually get to talk to the person that you really find out who the real person is. Well, think about it. Like we convert into a character. So a visual, like, mm. a visual piece of music, right? So at least for me, that like uh, aggressive, sexy female, like I even have certain routines that I'm that character. But if you saw me in my personal life, I need a lot of shots. <laughs> <laughs> for real, like I, it's just. You just got to get. It's not, it's, you you are know. the character. Your job as a dancer and a performer is to become the character. So you're producing pieces that tell stories, right? So you can't always tell your own story. Your own story is going to, I mean, how many times can you just be only? So you create these characters. So I think people do get this facade that, oh, this person is potentially like this. And there's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of us as dancers are introverts and we've used music to just open up, right? And yeah. that, that happens with children. Even as an educator, you put on music, you get your shy kid that starts to move a little bit, you know? No, <laughs> it's powerful. No, no, you're right. Absolutely. And, and that kind of helps me transition into understanding from then you, like you said, you actually, from your personal life, transitioned into the scene in Florida, going from DC. And like you said before, you were an, a hip hop dancer. And in DC, we know go-go mm -hmm. is everything. Go-go is oh, the, yeah. that's, that's the, that's the jam. But then going into kind of the Latin field, getting that taste of it from the cruise, but then coming to Florida, meeting people like Eric Baez, and then kind of going or kind of growing into the scene and adapting to a new scenery, what was those experiences like of now kind of saying, I am now Florida dancer? And what was that like over the years for you? Um, I had a saying that I always said that I was a spoiled dancer hmm. because people could talk about things in negative connotations and I couldn't relate. So for a very long, I can't say that I've ever had a, a negative stigmatism to what we do 
I think there's difficulties along the way, you know, it's business in some aspects and so forth. But overall, like coming into Florida, my experience was extremely positive. You know, I worked with Eric, like I said, a, a little over four years. And our partnership, he's like my brother. Even to this day, we sometimes hit me up like on FaceTime, like, oh, did you see this or mm -hmm. whatever? And it's about his baby or whatever. So we were like, we were like brother and sister, like this, yeah. this, right? So in the studio experience with him and I, there was just always natural chemistry. So I was spoiled in that sense. It was, there was never really any stress. Like we can go in there on a Sunday and spend four hours. And it was no big deal. We could go on a Monday and train with the whole team afterwards. We're like, let's go to the club, yeah. you know? So it was a very family, what Eric did in, in his studio and not to take the attention away from, you know, that, but that was really a, a big part of what, mm -hmm. you know, who I am as well. But what we had going on together in the studio is a very big family oriented vibe. And, um, and just, I guess when I got involved, it just complemented his energy as well. And so we worked together. So we had our teams and, and I just kind of co-taught with him along the way in those four years. And we did socials and, you know, we traveled together. It was a really good, consistent, steady four years for us. Um, and honestly, I still would have been UMBA this whole entire time. Yeah. Just as myself. It's just, we got to a certain point where he had been there, done it. And I was starting to like, um, I was getting a lot of energy, a lot of reciprocation and invitations to teach styling and focus on women because of what I was naturally doing in the school. So mm -hmm. I started developing my own techniques and stuff while I was working with UMDA with Eric and other people saw that. So they were like, we want to know what you're doing. Would you come teach here? Would you come teach there? Yeah. And they weren't necessarily the plan that, that Eric had because Eric had already done so many other things. So as I kind of gradually kind of started evolving, he was already like, he got where he wanted to go with his company. So we, we parted ways due to those type of differences. But like I said, I still literally would have been Amy Dominguez from Universal Mambo because it never was a bad experience dancing in that school label. I mean, it was always a positive experience. But, you know, again, I started to get all these opportunities. I took advantage of them. And then I came into growing my own brand as soon as I left him which was mm -hmm. focused on women, but, um, but even all the way from then. So, so you're getting four years from 09 until then. Mm -hmm. And then I started my female company, which was Esel Amor. And that was great. You know, that was, I mean, I was like, I was spoiled. I had immediately like 17 dancers. I had my shows. I was getting them booked immediately at all the Congresses. Florida was extremely, I was extremely blessed in Florida. Mm -hmm. I think there was not a female branded here in the state. And I was the one who kind of like got branded as a face here in Florida, right? Yeah. And so I got started getting instructing at all the congresses between Miami, uh, Tallahassee, Jacksonville, Orlando, all the cities here, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a huge opportunity for me to kind of get my feet wet, really kind of establish what I was doing, even with my training techniques and stuff like that. Um, and now we're going into what, seven, six, going on seven years later. Yeah or six years, and I've been working alone the whole time. I mean, I've had my partners, like I said, but as far as like my company, so first it started as my female company, and then the guys wanted to join in, and I switched the label to Kura, so that mm -hmm. I could get my guys involved. So I had my guys for a little while, and now, once again, right prior to COVID, I got a strong calling of females again that wanted to do something on a more professional level. Mm -hmm. And I kept it as Kura, but now it's focused back on women, which it'll stay with women. It's just what I'm really good at doing. Um, and yeah, so that's been my experience. So Florida, Florida back then was one way in the scene, we're in a different scene, but progressively my experience with Florida, I love this state. Um, there's so many students here, there's mm -hmm. different instructors. And I mean, my, I've been, I literally have always said it. Like I, I've had dancers, females come like, oh my God, this is like, how do you get so many women together and there's no drama? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it just really depends know. on the people. It's not, it's, and that's, that's something too that I've heard a lot, especially in New York, but other places, is that there's always a competition factor. But what happens, people have to understand when you have an oversaturation of studios and teachers and what have you, of course, people are going to start to compete because it's a studio and people want their students. But like you said, a person like yourself collaborating with other people at one point is allowing mm -hmm. you to gain more opportunities in the future. 
Yeah, yeah. And I don't really, I believe in competition. And I know some people have that in their personality. They're just competitive and the best. That's not a theory I live by. That's not who I am. Like, I'm not, I don't really, and this is a strong statement. A lot of people be like, oh, that's what, I don't know what people would opinionate actually. (laughs) For words in anyone's mouth. My opinion is it's impossible to be the best at something that is creative. You can be great at it, but how can you, how can you actually create a, a really constructive scale and say, I am the best at this? Like you're great at it, but somebody else is also great at it. Yeah. So you're competing to just be great. That's great, but you're not the best. It's impossible. It's creative. So someone's going to pick and choose what they like from what you do. And someone's going to pick and choose what they like from. So to compete with other people, I feel like it's just a waste of time. Like you should compete with yourself. If you think that you're lacking in something or you think that you should do better in something, then do it for yourself. But to compete is for me, at least for me, I don't compete. I don't compete in anything. I don't compete as a woman. I don't compete in nothing. I don't need to compete. I compete with myself. Mm. So if, I, if I'm lacking in something, I work on me because I didn't get to 36 competing, yeah. you know, and get all the things and, and do all this stuff. That's a lot of energy. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot oh, of work yeah. to be done while you're competing. So if you just, I mean, for me personally, and that would be an advice I would give to any student. If you feel like there's more you can do, then do it. Mm. If you feel like there's more you can do, do it. If you like what somebody else is doing, appreciate that and learn what they're, what is it they're doing? Their discipline. Are they training with multiple people? Are they investing financially into coaching? Mm -hmm. What are they doing? And if that's giving you that sauce of like, I want to do more, I want to do more, then you're at that point, you might think you're competing with them, but you're really competing with yourself because you know, there's Mm -hmm. something missing that you need to work on. So anyways, but yeah, I don't believe, I, I mean, I think when I was younger, I did. Because you get that anxiety of like, oh, but they're doing it. You want to keep up. But then it's to a certain point where you, you keep keeping up. When you're a dancer, you're a hustler. You're constantly yeah. hustling. So, and the hustle doesn't go away because guess what? There's people hustling. Oh, you know, you get older hustling. and they're coming and they're coming and they're getting good. And you're like, damn, appreciate their work. But yeah, I got it. You know? So <laughs> you're just constantly chasing the dream, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is to just kind of just understand you're great. There's going to be multiple people that are great. And this is what I can do to even better this craft or better get to where I'm trying to go. Right. So anyway, no, when I hear that thing about competing, I'm like, oh, that type of energy. I'm like, get off me. (laughs) I I appreciate that because a lot of people, women, male, whomever, sometimes they, they feel the exact same way. But honestly, they don't know how to word it or they're nervous about what other people will say. But for me, I've always said you have to be who you are. I understand at certain parts, like you said, in routines, you have a character to mesh with in that routine. But there is a point after that, you are back to yourself. And you have to come to mm-hmm. terms with yourself. You have to learn how to please yourself before you learn to please anyone else. And, and, yeah, and, and there's definitely, are, there's, I mean, some people really are confident about like, oh, I'm competitive. like, But yeah. I'm not. So for me, it's like, I can't, if I do that, it'll make me so stagnant. Like it'll drain me. I'm, I personally, if we're in, if you had a, you're interviewing me. So me personally, I'm like, you competed with the wrong person because I am not competing back. Exactly. I I love it. I love it. And, and, and now that kind of helps me now transition into the segment that I call the randoms. This here is going to be 10 questions about five to 10 seconds each. And this is going to help me (laughs) and the audience learn a little bit more about you. Some questions you probably heard from previous episodes, some might be new, but now I'd like to ask, let me know when you are ready. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Number one is favorite food. It's pasta, but I don't eat it. So I love fish. Okay. I like that. Favorite workout song. Right now. Uh, I think it's the Nati Nata. Who is it? I love listening to Nati Natasha. Oh, okay, okay, yes, so I definitely. I just played Nati Natasha. All right, next one would be your dream vacation destination. I want to go to Dubai. Oh, okay. Whoever's hearing that, Amy wants to go to Dubai. Let's <laughs> go. Let's do it. The next one would be your favorite Congress. Ooh. My favorite Congress. 
I am a huge fan of the Houston Salsa Congress. Mm, okay. I love right. Texas dancers. All right. I heard that. Now, I definitely love some Texas dancers. They know Texas how. Texas dancers. Everything. Their students are great. The organizers out there are great. The community there is great. The direction that they take. That Congress is a nonprofit Congress, so I'm a teacher. I'm all for it. They put so much money into scholarships. I mean, that's the reason. So yeah. I, as an instructor there, as an artist, I mean, they take care of their artists. The team there, they always have a, an entire panel. It's really organized. I love the Houston Congress. And I love our community congresses as well. So nobody no, kill me no, in no, Florida. This is, again, this is your opinion, your decision. Yeah. The, the I love the Houston one, Congress. Next one we have is, what would be your spirit animal? Hmm. Dang, you're trying to really put me to the test here. Spirit <laughs> animal? Like a legit I, I spirit animal? I would have thought a lioness, maybe. Oh, no. That's, I'm like a cub. Okay. <laughs> I just look like that. So, <laughs> um, is this even considered one? Like a dove, a bird? Yeah, it could be. Yes, that could perfectly be. Bird. Okay, I like that. Let me see. The next one would be partner work or footwork? Footwork. Oh, she kind of hesitated when she said that. <laughs> Sometimes, some, sometimes it's like a nice, but if I had to rely on myself, footwork, just me and the I music. Feel, I feel you on that. I feel, okay, we're definitely going to get into that. What would be your superpower? Um, I'm a very fair person, so mm -hmm. I think I'm a thinker, so I think my intelligence is my superpower. Okay. And three people that are most influential to you at this point in your life. My mother, my father, influential. Oh, man. Can I just clutter all my female best friends together? I, absolutely. <laughs> so I have like a group of like between my sister and my cousins and my best friends. They're like a really strong force behind me every day, once a mm -hmm. week, three times a week. So my parents, and then I have a close, good group of female friends. Okay. Awesome. Mm -hmm. The next one would be, what is a special talent that many people wouldn't know you have? My special talent. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm an early childhood educator, so I have an early learning center for children. Mm -hmm. I think my talent is that I am a natural protector always have been i used to want to go into law enforcement stuff like that but i have a a kin for children so i love the cognition of children and their development stuff like that so okay yep. and, and the last one would be if you were on an island what are three things that you would have to have with you soap <laughs> all right oh, you, oh my god you're literally the first person out of everyone that I've asked this question that has said so. <laughs> oh, I need to be clean. That would be yes. like, <laughs> oh my God, why are you asking me these questions? Soap, a toothbrush, that's going to have a toothpaste because I need that mm -hmm. tooth. That's a combo. Um, really? I'm going to need something to survive. A knife? Oh, there a you gun. Go. No, I don't need a knife. I need a gun. Okay. <laughs> okay, there you go, Shooter. I feel you. <laughs> I don't want to be close to me, so we're going to have to kill you from far away. I feel, I feel you. You know, but honestly, I thank you for doing this quick segment because, again, it allowed myself and the people watching and listening to kind of know a little bit more about you, but in a faster rate of time. And, you know, it kind of allows me now to transition into understanding presently what you've been going through. But also, before we get to that, I think it's really important that many people understand that you being a childhood educator, um, being able to connect with children, but also mm -hmm. being able to connect with your students, I think is a really remarkable because I think many people take for granted when, so I believe for me, a key thing in life is socialization, being mm -hmm. able to understand people, whether at different ages or different points in their lives. Because mm -hmm. for me, I always say uh, adults are just grown up children. 
And yeah. <laughs> just so for me, you're constantly it, learning. Yeah. So for me, it's like I think it's really awesome to hear from a person like yourself, who is not just only a teacher of dance with adults, but also is a, a, a like you said, a, a child a child educator, and you have your own daycare center. So for me, I definitely would love to pick your brain and understand what have been the lessons that you, or what have been the most important lessons that you've been able to learn over the years being a childhood educator? Hmm. Well, it's entrepreneurship, right? So okay. I think there's the aspect of that first. So I think initially was the idea, the concept, and the desire to want to implement something into my life where it didn't necessarily require me working for someone else. I had already been working in many schools and the standards in Florida actually statistically are the third lowest in the country. So after working in Florida for a while and going into these different um, classrooms, I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like I was constantly coaching people and I was like, I got to get out of this. It was toxic. So I ended up opening my center. But um, so I think initially, I think the things I've learned to grow is that nothing happens overnight. Um, if you have an idea and a concept, people tell you when you develop a company, it takes about years. That is factual. Um, what happens in the two years isn't necessarily something that you're going to recognize occurs, but what happens is that you create a a following, right? So similar to dance instructors, and that's something that kind of rolls into that. Word of mouth is the best promotion you can have is another key point. Um, it's not it's not the mass group of people that get the word of mouth. It's that one person. And so it's something when we were talking about as instructors, um, it's a big job of ours to be constantly cautious because it could just be that one person that really needed you to be positive or that one person that really is going to invest into you in a different way. Um, and we just might be tired or we might just, you know, but just having that, I guess, etiquette behind you to say, please excuse me, I'm really tired right now. You know, or play, give me just a moment. Let me just step away really quick because I'm feeling a certain way. I'm not feeling well. Make up an excuse. But the same thing with um, being an educator is that along the two years that I've gone on, because I'm in my second year in my company, it was not easy. It was like a massive roller coaster. And it happened right during one of the most extremely busy times in our Congress. That's actually why I had stopped traveling the last two years as much. But um those were the lessons that happened was that one, you get the idea, go for it. There's no fear behind that. And there's no losing behind that because you're working for yourself. Um, but just having the understanding that it takes about two years to develop anything. Cause it's that one person that brings two, that two that brings three, that three that brings mm -hmm. four. And it's really creating your, your reputation. Right. So yeah, I think the patience is a big thing. <laughs> No, no, absolutely. And then the reason, main reason to why I ask, because I feel like there are so much similarities in when you're teaching children and also teaching adults. For me, myself, yeah, there I've, is. Had, <laughs> I've had the opportunity to teach kids from second and third grade, from teenagers, almost all the way up to 18, 19. And a lot of times they have very, just a lot of similarities over the years. And That's hard. See, that yeah. is, I can't even teach. More yeah. power to you, boo. High five. <laughs> we got Nancy oh, Salsa over Nancy. here. Absolutely. Hi, boo. Even uh, a friend of mine, Yolanda, asks what part of Florida, and I think she's asking mainly Orlando. Orlando area. And, and realizing too. I'm in that, Claremont, but. Orlando. Okay. So you're in Claremont, but kind of the roots, in a sense, were in Orlando. Yeah, yeah. So I'm about 20 minutes outside of the city. That's where I'm located, but I teach in the city. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And now understanding kind of even present day of realizing over the past six to eight months, many of us throughout the U.S. have been dealing with COVID. Uh, it's really shut in the beginning and shut a lot of our businesses down, even from mm -hmm. schools, from dance studios, you name it. Some cities, some states, um, regulations have definitely been limited over time. But realizing now as well, I would love to understand from you how you were able or how how were you able to manage everything that kind of went on from March forward? Was it kind of an easier transition or was it kind of, you know, a little bit stressful for those first few months for yourself? For me, um, for the dance side of things, so my company was doing so well with, as far as um, the child care center, right? It's mm -hmm. called Boogaloo Kids. But it was doing so well that I was finally going back into traveling more. So 
I had eight gigs literally lined up and booked. So I was going to have probably the busiest next four months, three to four months that I had had in the last two years because I, I wasn't intentionally trying to travel as much while I had yeah. my company. It was impossible. So um, I had finally gotten to a point where I had an assistant, everything was possible to do it. And I had these eight gigs lined up. So as far as, and my students were doing really well, I had about 13 on my training team, my pro team, I thought I had two females that are my advanced dancers. They were solid in their choreographies. So I was in a point where everything was very stable, mm -hmm. like it had more stable. It had been in a very long time. So, um, COVID happens, right? So for me, the dance side of things took the biggest effect. As far as my school, fortunately, I have a small center. So my kids, their parents were like, if you keep open, we stay. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get the hit like everybody got instantly. Yeah. Mine happened gradually. My hit happened after the centers that had been closed reopened, the bigger mm -hmm. schools, the franchises, because they started cross advertising and stuff like that. And the locations were a lot more convenient. I had a parent to drive over an hour to me. But, um, so I got the hit gradually. It happened more towards that point. And then when that happened was when the studio started picking up again. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was one of the people that now you see that's very fearful of COVID. So I was freaking out. My parents are 80. My dad's 80 and my mom's 74. Yeah. I was totally freaking out to the point where, I mean, I was buying like 25 gallons of water every Friday. I was doing her grocery shopping mm -hmm. um, for my parents and stuff like that. Let me put my other headphone in. But so I was... I was freaking out. Like, I was like, oh my God, I hope they listen to me and they don't go up and start going shopping and stuff. Yeah. So I did all of that. Then luckily I had very, um, I had people in my life that had the other perspective and they had their other opinions. So I calmed down a little bit more based off the knowledge they gave me. So I found a balance, right? So when school started opening back up and the studios were allowed to, again, Mm -hmm. um, have rehearsals. I, myself, as well as, well as with Salsa Heat, were, and I think Santo Rico too, that same week, yeah. we opened up and we um, started teaching our classes again. Classes went really well. I mean, prior to that, what I did was I converted, I can't even show you, I would have to move my, my computer, but I converted, <laughs> I converted my, uh, my dining room into a studio. So I was doing everything virtually. I bought mirrors and put them up. I mean, you guys can see it, but you'll also see my, my baby seat. <laughs> my business is here. So you'll see my, my entrepreneurship. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. point is, is that um, I started teaching here, right? So I started teaching at home, doing my virtual classes. My teams all stayed in touch. I mean, we stayed in it. We did a good solid two to three months like that. That was challenging. At first mm -hmm. it wasn't. Everybody was like, we're going to get through this, right? Yeah. But then it was like, oh, the audio is not working. Oh, the Zoom isn't clear. Oh, the this. And it was like, now it's not connecting. So that kind of stuff, I think, takes away from people being focused. So then we just kind of took a break for a month. So we did one month where I actually didn't dance. That was hard. I gained weight. I mean, it was really, really hard. My feet, it was hard to get back into heels. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just really different, right? But then um, when the studios were allowed to open up again, I got back into it. My students all came. I almost felt like my classes got larger because people were just ready to get back into the studio. Um, and it's been consistent since. So... I didn't receive, I didn't have a major, major hit. I mean, we mm -hmm. were doing all the precautions necessary. We were masked to come in and out of the studio. There's hand sanitizer there. Once they're in their space in the studio, they're allowed to remove it based off yeah. their preference. Um, and we're just trying to adapt, right? Um, but what I can say is that my students want to be there. They're all very well aware of the situation. They're responsible adults. I work with adults. And even my parents are professionals. They're very, they're aware. And we all just trying to do the best we can to be as precautious as possible. And um, yeah, it's like, they need it. Like if it wasn't for my students, literally being like, Amy, when are you gonna start teaching again? I need to get out of the house, I'm going crazy. Yeah. Like I need to dance. Like I see the other's perspective. There's other people that are like, that's insane, you can wait. But there's people that really have the personality that's like, I can't be stuck in this house, they're gonna lose their mind. And literally like that's, I mean, it, it, it's possible. <laughs> like, yeah. You take someone who's social and you take them out of a social setting and make them feel trapped and you're going to get some other type of consequence. So mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate that I've been able to teach and everyone's really safe and everyone's comfortable. And those that who haven't felt comfortable, they haven't come back yet. They message me and they're like, we love you. We're just, you need a couple yeah. little more weeks, you know? 
So I'm just like, the advertisement's there for you to use it if you're comfortable. But I don't tell them, like, you should be doing it. Don't be afraid. It's like, it's there to be had. We wear a mask. You can keep yours on the whole time. This is your space. You guys do what you need to do. And once we get into our, like, I take off my mask once I'm up front. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So we're just trying to do the best we can. Yeah, absolutely. And just me, for me as well, understanding from a studio owner's perspective on how they've been able to handle it. And like you said, you being a childhood childhood educator, but also being a studio owner, you in a sense, even if one kind of slows down, something else is picking up. So you being able yeah. to have that balance is great. And, you know, for me, I think this this has really been a great discussion that we've had. You know, and for me, at least the last few questions that I definitely have and something I really wanted to know was from really the start of everything, from being a hip hop dancer in D.C., then making your way to Florida, then making Mm -hmm. a name for yourself and your brand uh, from Cura, and then just over the years and kind of coming till now, what have been really the biggest lessons that you've learned as a performer but as also as a female solo artist in this dance community? The biggest lessons that I would say I've learned is that you you can't wait for opportunities. Um, You also can't wait for someone else to motivate you. It really takes you having a true, genuine desire to do this. Hmm. So everyone likes what it looks like, but once you live it, so dance, there's people that do it socially. But to say you're a dancer, I feel like it's an overall lifestyle. You know, when you're a dancer, you understand the drop of the dime. Everything else goes on the back burner. Opportunities don't come around all the time. I mean, I had a music video for Gente de Sona, for example, in Miami. And my friend um, was producing it. And he hit me up. And he, this was during COVID. He was like, Amy, I'm doing Gente de Sona. I, I was creating the, the, the visuals and everything that they were going to do in the video. And he was like, I'm going to give you a heads up when it's happening, when I get the dates and stuff, so you can come down because I want you to do a, um, a cameo, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, great. Just let me know when. Sounds nice, but I own a company, right? I had a day before heads up, which is normal. That's normal. Tomorrow we're going to mm-hmm. record, right? We got a crazy storm that came in. This was like a couple months ago. Crazy storm comes in. They postpone it. Hey, it's postponed because of the storm. Okay. I'm like, okay, I got a little more time. Mentira. I Monday hit me up. Tomorrow we're recording. So that means <laughs> I gotta find an assistant. Yeah. I gotta find an assistant. I gotta do all these things. That was the first gig. And it, I'm using that as an example because that's what it takes to be a dancer. So if yeah. I was fully a dancer right now, no big deal. I got my black clothes. I didn't know what I needed to take. I know I take every shoe I own. I gotta have my makeup on point. I can't leave a flat iron. There's things that you just know it's a lifestyle. You don't have to ask questions about this is what you need to be there and be prepared and um and time and presence and being available for opportunities like that is one of the main things i think that's something in our industry we don't see a lot of mm-hmm. um because we have congresses so we have opportunities yeah. to do what we love there right but like at least with main street dance or, you know like dancers that work in la and do commercial work they don't get a heads up and that's why most of them lose their employment they work at really quick type jobs because these gigs show up and you drop and you go. That's the lifestyle of a dancer. You're in rehearsals, you eat, sleep it. I mean, you're sleeping in your car to make it to a gig. I mean, it's a really common lifestyle. So for me, what I think in the Latin community with what I do, the biggest things would be discipline. No one's gonna tell you to get up, go to, go to tech, go do these things. Um, the preparation process is work. And, and that desire has to be really genuine because you're gonna be tested and you're gonna be tested in so many different ways with professionalism, you know, um, professionalism, uh, I guess, dedication, you know, and really just how much of that grind you have in you because it's not easy. It's not easy. It's great. It's fun. It's rewarding. And it comes to a point where the pleasure is a lot more consistent than normal. But I think mm-hmm. that grind is something that you always have to have. That grind. And I, my entire career, I can tell you, it's been fully fulfilling. There's nothing I would have wanted differently. I've done everything I could have ever wanted to do as a dancer. Worked with all the artists I could have ever wanted to work with as a dancer. Um, there's a lot more I could work with, but I'm very content, right? Mm-hmm. That I've done these things. I feel very fortunate. I feel very blessed. But um, 
but there never has gone a show that I'm not fully focused on my job, what I'm there to do. So I have a great time on stage, see a smile, da, 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 and backstage, I'm like, two minutes, boom, pop, 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 yeah. pop. So you're constantly working. It's very, accountability and what we do is huge. If you're yeah. not accountable for yourself, no one's, you're just, you can't sit and blame somebody. They're just going to look at you like, you didn't know what you were signing up for? Like, yeah. you have yeah. to be accountable. So, Absolutely. And just hearing all of this amazing information and knowledge coming from you. And I, I wish I knew you sooner because especially I think <laughs> not just as a female, but as a person, you have just so oh, much thank experience. You, love. Yeah, absolutely. Because for me, it's you, you realize too through conversation, what you're learning about the person goes deeper than what you saw. Because you realize that yeah. as a teacher or as a performer, what you see on the outside is a great image, but not realizing all of the hard work it took to get to where you were. Yeah. And, I think that's why too. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry, love. No, no, no. Absolutely. But I think that's why too I have like it's probably maybe people would say, Hey boo, I mentioned you earlier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta re you gotta rewind the tape. I was talking about you. <laughs> but um but I think uh I think that's why I, I am this way, right? So people think my reservation is an attitude or something like that. And mm. it's not. It's just that I respect so much what I do. Yeah. Like, and not even just what I do, I respect the work that people have done. Like I've worked with people that I hear their stories and it's humbling. Like people like Ismael, I've danced with Ismael Miranda and I have for however many these years. And to hear his story, how humble he is and how he like his first time, his parents didn't want him to sing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and how the first time he handed a record to his dad, you know, here he had been jumping from apartment to apartment in New York, getting evicted because the family didn't have an income. And yeah. he ended up with Fania. And, you know, then he got this, this is his first record. He played at his house and his dad was like, who is this? And he showed it to his dad and his face is on this record. You know, when you work with people like that and you're like, wow, I have the ability to move this person's music, this person's story, this person's history. It's something that I personally don't take lightly. I don't take lightly because who am I? right like you're one in a bazillion people and you had this opportunity so i i'm very cautious and i protect my work i protect the work of the people associated to me as well so on the side personally i'm not business at all when i'm off i'm like wine sneakers hat oh you see me on my personal time just relax i don't even want to blow dry my hair <laughs> but when it comes to what we do as artists i am very protective of it like I love it. I, as a child, it was my bubble. It protected me from my real life at home, which was a phenomenal life. My parents were amazing. My mom had an illness. So it was very strugglesome in those ways, right? So it, that bubble really was my safe place. So I'm very cautious that I, I work with intention. You know, like I've been fortunate to have that desire to be very purposeful as an artist, like that I give people just a grain of happiness. That's all I'm trying to do. If music is doing it and I get to teach you a basic, and you ran with that and that made you feel good that day, that's the best I can do, you know, as an overall human being. So that to me, I feel like is where it all comes into. So I really do appreciate that, you know, that you feel like I'd be a good friend. Yes, boo. <laughs> you went mute, I can't hear you. All right, oh. yes, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, but again, I really want you to know is that especially just having you on tonight, for me, just seeing you kind of watching your shows over the years from your solos, from your collabs, from classes, from actually seeing you teach myself last year at the Unity Dance Festival. Uh, for me, I always knew that I wanted to get to understand a dancer like yourself. Uh, because again, even you said you're kind of the, the persona that you have, it's kind of different when people really get to know mm -hmm. you. But especially having this moment here, to really get to know you, um, it definitely was worthwhile. And, you know, I'm really Thank you. thankful that I could have you and you to take your time out. But at least before we go, I would love if you can to leave myself and the audience with some last few words and also contact information on where they could reach you next and see about your next classes coming up. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. I'm very humbled. Um, you know, dance is something that kind of fell into my life and 
I never thought I'd be at 36 saying I'm still doing this five, six days a week, you know. Well, you're, you're amazing doing it, so yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I guess my words would be that if you're ever going through something, turn on some music. Do a basic. Dance around your kitchen. I don't believe that dancers have a shelf life. People tell you that, but you don't. It depends what you plan to do with your dancing. You might have a shelf life first commercial or something like that, but there's no shelf life to being a dancer. You could dance in a wheelchair with your hands. You could listen to music and just move in your shower. At that moment, you're dancing, right? So there's no limit. There's no particular structure. We feel we love you. We are so proud of your accomplishments. Oh, I love you, Beto. You were influential in that. You got to play Rewind. <laughs> I told them my first, I'm sorry I was talking, but my first history lesson was from you at that, uh, the Stucco Salsa Cruise. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, you have an ability to dance, so you do it, right? So I think that's the most positive thing is that if you guys are feeling COVID affected, if you're feeling bad on a bad day, broke up with a relationship, music is free. It's on YouTube. Yes. That is the best therapy you can give to yourself. Play it, blast it, sing awfully in your shower, shake your butt around your room, because it really is a very easily accessible outlet. And I think it's very powerful. So that would be something I would give you guys. Um, and then from my, from me to you, thank you for having this opportunity. I know it's Friday night. You probably could be doing a million other things. No, but, I could do anything, but I'd rather talk to you. Oh, I want to hug you through the computer. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, and I think was that, did I cover that? You were saying something else. Did you yeah, no, 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 I was oh. just saying as well, just a contact oh, info my, on how people My contact info. Well. So to reach me, really simple, you can call, well, actually, go ahead and use my, my social media platform. So Facebook would be Amy Figueras Dominguez. It used to say fool. It might say fool. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. It's the long <laughs> one. It's the long one. That two, three, four accounts that we had back in the day, that's a lot to keep up with. So the one I keep up with is the one that says Amy Figueras Dominguez fool for Facebook. And then my Instagram is Amy underscore Dominguez official. So those are ways to um, to contact me. There's Cura pages, so Cura Dance Project, because it is a project. It's not just a dance team or anything. You'll be able to get acclimated with that there. Mm-hmm. But um, there as well, you can just send me a DM. I do currently have virtual classes on the 8th. I'm having a ladies intensive. We did it last month. It was great. So we're going to do it again November 8th. So there is an opportunity if you're not in the state of Florida or you can't get into the studio with us or prefer not to as well. Um, that you can tune in virtually. And it's three hours, a three-hour intensive from 10 to 1. It's focused on lady styling. Wow, that's that's awesome. And I definitely am glad that I could hear that information because I'll definitely relay that to the people in New York because, again, it shows that a person like yourself, even through all the adversities that people are going through, you're still able to adapt and still give your customers and your students uh, something to look forward to. So, I mean, for me, Amy, I'm really (laughs) thankful tonight I could have you. And like I tell a lot of my guests, or all of my guests, this is our first interview, and I surely hope it won't be our last, and I hope I can catch (laughs) up with you uh, later this year into early next year, just to see what you've been up to, catch up with you, and see what new projects you're working on. So, again, I'm really thankful, again, that we could have you on this Friday night. Uh, I enjoyed our interview immensely. Uh, I love every Aww. minute of it. And, you know, Thank honestly, you, I am grateful that our dance community has a person like yourself in it. Um, Thank you. I appreciate just it. Like, just like Beto and others have seen in Nancy, uh, you are truly something <laughs> special. So I thank you. Um, I hope you have a great thank night, you. a great weekend, and we'll definitely be talking soon. Thank you, love. Be blessed. Thank you for Absolutely. everything. Thank you. Bye, you thank guys. You, have a good night. <laughs> Bye. Bye.